Hi, this is Keith Kefchin, and you're listening to Dollars and Drivers, a podcast that allows leaders an outlet to discuss what drives them and their distinct way of succeeding in life and business. Welcome back to another episode of Dollars and Drivers. Today, we're going to be speaking with John Payne, President and Chief Operating Officer of Vici Properties, the spinoff REIT of Caesars Entertainment a number of years ago. Uh, John's going to be talking about the growth of the company, the changeover from being an operating company to a real estate investment trust. But more importantly, he's going to be talking about leadership issues and how to motivate and lead people. And even more importantly, a concept he talks about, principled living, which I found very intriguing. Please enjoy. You have an interesting background. You're now in, what, your third or fourth industry, being a REIT. Uh, but before that, it was Caesars. And then I know you'd come from other industries. Maybe you can give us and the listeners a sense of why you chose the things that you've done. What were the professional and personal motivations that have been driving you in these decisions? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't look so far back before I went to business school of the things that I did and helped put myself through college with. Um, Most people think of me as a sole gaming executive that started very fortunate back in the mid-90s when I ended up getting with a small little gaming company called Harrah's and ended up leaving uh, business school and going to a small town called Vicksburg, Mississippi. Funny story, Keith, you know, the dean of the business school at Northwestern told me, John, you are the only student to ever leave Northwestern and go to the state of Mississippi, (laughs) which is funny. I think it was said necessarily as the greatest compliment, but no, I haven't been fortunate to, to move around. Although I was with one company for 22 years, I probably had nine different jobs. So it allowed me within one company to see a lot of variety and a lot of different things. I think the connective tissue is motivating, inspiring, leading people. No matter what I was doing, it had a large people component to it. And I think that's what kept me in that business for so long. Ended up leaving three years ago to start Vici, a a real estate investment trust, which does not have as much people management, but it's been a great transition to to start a new company, take that company public, grow that company and uh, get a new skill set. So it's been a, I've been very blessed. What's the ongoing relationship? Because most of those assets came from Caesars. Uh, so I assume you still have conductivity you know, yeah, to the Caesars Harris organization. So what's that like today? How, how is it different? How is it similar? Well, they're two separate companies. I think that, that that's an important part to understand. Caesars is one publicly traded company and Vici is one publicly traded company. And the connection to us is uh, Vici is the landlord of 19-ish or 22-ish uh, properties that Caesars operates. And that's our relationship. I obviously have personal relationships with many former colleagues, many people I work with or work for me that are still there. But from a company standpoint, they're, they're two separate companies that work together and partnership over assets that we own and they operate. You miss the the trenches, as it were, <laughs> uh, at all? I I know yeah, you guys are making money, but yeah, there's it, look, there's they're they're very different jobs working uh, for a real estate investment trust and working for an operating unit. There's things I really like about my job today, and there's things I miss about operating. I, it starts with the people. I, I think you 
you know, you, when you've got tens of thousands of people that you manage it's at one point and you go down to a company that is 18, that's just a very different job. So I do miss the uh, connecting with people. I do miss changing lives when you promote people along the way. And uh, those are the type of things I miss. I don't miss the day-to-day operations, particularly in years like 2020, which I give incredible credit to the operators and what they've been able to do to uh, operate and open back up successfully and safely along the way. I don't miss the long hours of, of trying to figure that out, but I give great credit to those operators. Yeah. How did you get on this path? You said you've been blessed. Uh, you've obviously made some very good career choices. Has it just been you? Have there been other people that have influenced you? But how, how did you get on this right path? Oh, there's no question that uh, I've had great mentors. Um, and then you live by some principles to continue to be successful. Simple things like do the right thing always, no matter the situation. Uh, live with integrity and lead by example. And I've just had some core, you know, strong beliefs, the power of nice. You know, I, I learned that early in my career that you don't have to be you know, the hardest guy in the room and the toughest guy in the room you can be, but being nice sometimes works. So Keith, I think there's been a lot of people who have mentored me and taught me these things along the way. And then I found my way of leadership that I think allowed me to continue to grow with Caesars and then grow and help start a brand new, you know, $20 billion company in Vici. And and I, I think you you start with great mentors and you continue to have mentors and then you find your way. And I know, again, Harris Caesars is uh, generally a reputation for being a pretty buttoned up organization. But do you have a system, a playbook of success? I, I relate things to sports. I, I know others tend to as well. But is there a playbook that you refer to that has been you know, a driving force of your success? I don't know if there's necessarily a playbook, but I'll go back to the things that are at your core. I mean, first and foremost, no matter how successful you are or how much wealth you are, it's how you treat the people. And this business in particular, Keith, where so much of what you do is customer facing, that you can be the smartest person, you can have the greatest strategy, but if you can't motivate, inspire, lead frontline employees, there's no way you're going to be successful. And I, I think that's a critical part of my success is realizing at a relatively early age, you know, the importance of, of treating people correctly, respecting, showing integrity in the way that you work. So I don't know if that's a, a playbook. The other thing I think in a business like the casino business, which is quite complex, is you need to have the ability to make complex simple. And I think there's many businesses that that are complex, but the leaders don't have the ability to bring it down and make it simple and have sound bites that people can understand of all walks of life. And I think that that has been a critical part of my success, at least back in the casino business, is take what we're doing, but break it down to where everyone in the organization can understand the message you're trying to get across. And I think that's a, a, a gift I learned from many of my mentors, and I've tried to express that going going forward and 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 getting people aligned. I would say I, I know that not everyone's a big fan of Belichick and Brady and the New England Patriots. If you're a fan, great. If you're not, you know you hate those guys. Uh, but they have been able to 
create something over a long period of time. You want to call that a dynasty or whatever people want to call it. Uh, but people talk about the Patriot way. Is there a John Payne way? Is there, do people need to have a way of conducting themselves and business in general that's consistent? Or what is that secret sauce? <laughs> that's funny. You know, as a Saints fan, let's just say it's the Sean Payton, Drew Brees way. So there you go. That's fine. <laughs> better understand. Uh, I don't know if there's an exact way. I think you have to find your own way, Keith. Um you know, my way, and I said it earlier, starts with the top, which is you, you have to live with a sense of integrity and then lead by example. I, I think I've also been honest uh, with what I, I'm good at and then what I'm not so good at and be comfortable enough to allow others to do the things that you aren't so good at. You know, I have minor things, Keith, about being on time. It's respectful to others that uh I drive to, to young executives how important that is. And then, you know, again, do the right thing always. There, it's easy to be a great leader during good times, right? Okay. When great leadership shows up, it's during bad times. And there's no doubt for me, very important moment of my career was during Hurricane Katrina, where I was the regional president of the South. Three of my four properties were just were either destroyed or damaged. 30 days later, my fourth property was destroyed with Hurricane Rita. And I was working uh, for executives in a company that while the water was coming in New Orleans, we were doing what was right for the employees, no matter what the cost was. And it, it is in the back of my mind when I go through any crisis situation, the first thing I tell myself and the people I work with is, what is the right thing to do? Don't listen to the insurance companies. Don't listen to the lawyers who are telling you whatever you can say or not say. But what is the right thing to do? And I think that that, if you ask me about my secret sauce, those minor things have helped guide me along the way, try to do to keep me grounded. How have you been able to, you know, adapt? Adaptability seems to be a consistent attribute amongst good leaders uh, again back to you know Brady and Belichick you know, coming out the second half with a revised game plan on the fly how, how do you go about that because you have this system you have your core beliefs how do you adjust to I circumstances think, I think their greater strength is over years Keith not just adjusting at halftime it's the ability to adjust your system to the players that are in front of you. Okay. Right. The, the greatest leaders out there, it, you know, look, anyone can be successful for a couple of years with the same players in the same systems. The all time great leaders or coaches in, in this example are the ones that do it over decades with different players and with different, you know, strategies and different lineups and, I think that is the credit, as painful as it is for me to admit that Brady and Belichick are the best. I think that's what they've been able to do because the Randy Moss years were very different than the years when they had you know, no marquee receivers, as an example. And I think a leader in business is the same way. I think your style, your core values stay the same, but your styles change over the years. I mean, I think if you met many of my colleagues when I was 20 years younger would would say I'm much more hard charging back then than I am today. It isn't that I don't want to succeed as much. I, I want to succeed as much today than I ever have. 
my approach to it and the team around me is quite different. How do you approach competitors? Do you learn from them? Uh, how do you view competition? Yeah, I think you learn from them the good and the bad. I think you learn from them if they're beating you, okay, what are they doing that is better than what you are doing and how can we adapt our organization to to execute so that we can win? I also think you can learn, you know, things that they're they're doing that we would never do or say or act or you know, so I'll give you an example of something that is minor, but I think it's important is returning emails. You know, Keith, it's funny. I have people return an email from me two weeks after I sent it and say something like, you know what? I'm, I was busy. Well, who's not busy, right? <laughs> and so I, I laugh at companies that don't have the sense of urgency to treat, whether it's investors or customers, tenants, you know, all the same with a sense of urgency that they're all busy and they need an answer and it's important. And uh, I watch competitors, you asked me, this is a question about competitors, and I watch some that don't have the urgency. So I'm learning from them, the way that we can win is to have an urgency. I watch other competitors that are doing things better than us and learn from that. And look, I'm, I'm not afraid to copy or admit when we're wrong. And sure. I think that's ultimately how you learn. You've obviously reached a, a level of not only competency, but uh, expertise. I know you get paid well, probably for what you do. There's a whole conversation, I think even more so today about the inequities of of pay and wealth and things of that nature. How, how are you guys wrestling with the issue of pay and performance or just executive pay in general? How do you put yeah. values on people? Uh, it's, a, it's an awfully tough thing to do, it seems, today. It is very tough, but it's something you need to continue to talk about. It's funny. I, pay sometimes becomes uh, you know, something people don't want to talk about. It's almost people get nervous about talking about pay. And I just think it's incredibly important to be aligned performance and pay. And I think you can adjust that along the way. I think you can create a performance system that works for a couple of years and, and not be afraid to go back and say, you know what, this was the right performance system and the right pay system for where we were a couple of years ago, but we're in a different place today. You know, we should, should make some tweaks to it. And I think that's ultimately important. You know, what's your worth to a company? I think that's an, it also an interesting question that gets asked a lot, you know, are, are you worth more to the company or is the company worth more to you? And I can remember having these discussions as a younger executive about how important the company was to me. I, I was doing good work, but I needed the company. And at some point, there are times in your career where you say, you know what, I, I deserve to be paid more. I think I'm adding more value. And you, you have to manage that personally. And then as an executive or a C-suite, you have to, again, ensure that the pay is aligned you know, with performance, because you sure don't want to be paying folks that aren't performing. And you still see that. Keith, I think you still see some of that. I, I do think it's a topic that's more top of mind today than ever before. Yeah, I just recently saw a tweet by Robert Reich, and he was talking about they didn't want to live in a country that uh, allowed someone to be worth $186 billion or whatever Jeff Bezos was. That was his example. And uh, my gosh, I had to scratch my head. I responded to him, but I'm, I'm wondering what other people in business, especially entrepreneurs or people that run, you know, big valuable companies, uh, I would think we'd be patting that guy on his back. Now, not doing wrong things, but in terms of creating value, isn't that 
the purpose. I'm just curious if you have a, a viewpoint on that. Yeah, look, I, I think Bezos is a bad example from my perspective in that I think he started a company and an industry and a way of life um, that, you know, he, he's getting compensated because he started the, you know, essentially started the company and that's that he's getting paid for that performance. Mm-hmm. I'll go just go back, Keith. I, I, you know, I don't know if there's a max anyone should pay. I just don't. That's just not my core core beliefs. What I do believe, though, is that people should be paid fairly for the performance or the contribution to the businesses that they work in. And I do think founders of companies that are incredibly successful are different than folks who come in and, and work in the company. And maybe that's uh, unusual, but I do. I personally just think different than, than, than that. Uh, and I don't think there's necessarily a max. I do think if you have the wealth of some, you do have an obligation to support and give back uh, to the communities that you operate. And I don't think you should be told where you should give back. I think that is your choice of where, you know, what are your core beliefs? Yeah, Chuck Feeney was an alum of Cornell as I am, and he was one of the first billionaires in this country. And just, I think it was last month or the month before, shut down his foundation because his goal was to give everything he made away. And he finished that 20 years later, whatever it was. But I, I, again, I do think people who amass great wealth have other responsibilities. It's just interesting to think of whether it is it income, is it wealth creation? These, These topics get fuzzy, especially when you see circumstances in countries even like ours where people can't eat every day or go hungry in a particular day or week it's a a conundrum to say the least but it is i i think the other the thing about careers though also about money is you know i've never been one that measures success by someone's size of their wallet Mm -hmm. that makes sense is you know as you continue to mature in life you know making money and being successful is important but i think you most executives I know that have been successful have other reasons than just making money of, of what's driving them. I'm not saying there aren't some that are driven completely by money, but um, you know, I think there's other, other reasons why you drive to be successful. I know that my vision of that has changed substantially as you continue to mature and get older in life. Do I need to change the name of my podcast? What, what is Dollar, it? Dollars and Drivers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, look, money's okay. part of it. I just, I just think, you know, you, you don't just say he's more successful or she's more successful than the other simply by, you know, adding up the, the bank account. Because I yeah. think people measure their lives a little bit differently. Uh, maybe last or near last question. You know, how do you consult with others when you're pondering something, maybe a difficult question, a, a circumstance, you know, who do you go to and, and how do you ask for advice? What, do you have a system? That's a, it's a great question. Well, first and foremost, I hope it's not through Zoom anymore. Um, no, no offense to Zoom, but I, I hope, uh, you know, in the coming years, we get back to face-to-face. Nothing in my book replaces face-to-face conversations with colleagues, mentors, and bosses, that we've gotten a little bit too much into the texting and email world, addressing situations and asking for help. And 
there's places and times for that. But I'm a big believer that the tough conversations and the most important conversations need to be done face to face. And I just think they're more thoughtful uh, that way. And so when I have issues, again, it depends on the issues. I'm, I've been, I'm very lucky to work in an organization where whether it's talking to the CEO, CFO, analyst, it's all the same and will reach out to whoever I think has, will give me the best advice or thoughtful advice on a topic. And I, I think you can't always go up and down in the organization or up in the organization to ask for advice. You can always help, you know, go quote unquote, go down and ask people who may be more knowledgeable, but aren't at the level that you're at. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, fair enough. How is a landlord like you folks dealing with COVID? I assume many of the real estate investments you guys own weren't even open for a period of time. How are you folks just dealing with or looking at COVID from a broad sense? Yeah, look, March and April were interesting months. We we have great tenants that went into COVID, their businesses, without pre-existing conditions. And what I mean is the gaming business was at an all-time high in 2019. And the first two months of 2020, January and February, were as good as they've ever been in the gaming business. So they entered this uh, pandemic in a very good, stable position. Vici's been lucky, Keith, that we have collected 100% of our rent from our five tenants. Uh, we spent wow. time in March and April working with them on concessions that they may need. But we approached this as this is a temporary problem that needs temporary solutions because we're in an industry that is doing so well. And I give incredible credit to the operators, to our tenants, and that when they emerged you know, from COVID, you know, or while they were closed, they took that old adage from Churchill that says, never let a, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. And so they reinvented their business while they were closed. And as they've opened up, Keith, They've been incredibly successful. And I give them credit for doing that instead of just saying, oh, woe is me. They took those two months, reinvented their business, figured out how to open up safely for their employees and their guests, figured out they're going to attract customers. And they've done a fabulous job since that time. But we went at it with them in, in March and April as partners to see how we could help them get through this tough time. And it's worked out quite well. And obviously we're not done yet, but a vaccine's coming in. We think 2021 is going to have a greater outlook. I mean, it's certainly a business where you want the masses to get together instead of vice versa. So I, I suspect hopefully we'll get back to some sense of normalcy. I thank you for taking you know sure. a few minutes out of your busy schedule. Well, All I appreciate right? you reaching out to me and I appreciate the time and it's always good seeing you. All right, man. Be good. Thanks for listening to Dollars and Drivers. Until next time, this is Keith Kefchitz. Thank you.